everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. It is a cold February night here as we record this podcast on Wednesday, February 9th. This is episode number 55 of Behind the Yellow Line, and we are ready to talk some Chicago Cubs baseball, some Major League Baseball. Lots to get to on the show here tonight. Jeremy Spector is here, still hurting after that I lost last night. Well, I feel Maybe. good after that win over the weekend on against Indiana. Oh yeah, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Purdue right now, okay. unfortunately. I'm just Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm I really have I have no sad feelings about college basketball. I'm I'm just glad everybody went out there and had a good time. A tough night for my Hoosiers last night, also in Evanston. So uh, disappointing. When you have five scholarship players suspended, it's going to be tough to win a road game in the Big Ten. So college basketball not going so good right now. Frankly, guys, Major League Baseball not going so good right now. We'll talk CBA. Cubs apparently trying to bring back a World Series hero. We've got some thoughts on that. A Twitter account in the last week or so posted Wrigley Field concession prices from 1970 and give Randall $20, 1970, and he clears out the ballpark. So we'll look at some of our favorite items and some things that aren't served at Wrigley Field today. Uh, Some news on the AAA front. This is number 55, so the probably the last 45 minutes or so of the podcast this evening is going to be talking Augie Ojeda and Coy Hill, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. And then we'll have uh, more sad tears here, Bears, Bulls, whatever else is going on in the sports world. But let's talk CBA, because spring training is supposed to start next week, and spring training is not going to start next week. So we've got some problems here in Major League Baseball last week. The players and the owners met on Tuesday, and all of the reports coming out of that meeting was it was heated and it was contentious. Major League Baseball vowed to counter the most recent offer for Major League Baseball. Within about 48 hours of that, they pulled that offer, and here we are. It has been 16 days since the last offer for Major League Baseball. In that time, the Players Association has made two offers to the owners, and we're at a standstill here. This is really not good with spring training supposed to start next week. It's not good. No, I mean, look back at what we were talking about. Uh, we all thought that, you know, things might get done next week. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, in our predictions, we were like February 4th. I would think I was February 17th. But uh, I don't think it's getting done over the next week. I don't think that's going to happen. And it, it seems like it, it seems like the owners just don't want to negotiate. I mean, that's what it pretty much seems like. And they were going to make an offer. Then they decided we're not going to make an offer. And they haven't really, they, I think they've made one offer, you know, since they've instituted this lockout, which is in December, December 1st, it's been three months, like nothing's happened. And, and that's disappointing. Well, Jeremy, that's exactly what it is. The owners are refusing to counter offer and the, the players seem to be united in their stance that they are sitting at the negotiating table, ready to negotiate, ready to talk at any time. And the owners are unwilling to meet them there. Garrett Cole put out today that there was a players associated meeting in Arizona. They had over a hundred players show up and they seem completely united in their desire to see this through and get themselves a fair piece of the pie. So it seems to me the only thing the owners are doing is in the words of the players, galvanizing them to stand firm against ownership. So nothing good is happening right now. And Jeremy, to your point a minute ago, I 100% believe the owners are more than happy losing regular season games. The biggest losers to games not happening in April are obviously us, the fans who just want to watch baseball. But after that, the players end up getting screwed a lot more than the owners. The owners already know they're getting extra playoff money at the end of the season. 
It's not as if April are the biggest or highest attendance games of the year, and players get their full salary for the month of April. So the real losers if games don't happen in April, other than us as fans, are the players who will be withheld that potential month plus of income. So I have no doubt the owners are using that as leverage, and this really does suck though for us as the fans. I do not think we're going to have baseball on March 31st. It sucks for the fans. I think the fans are by far the biggest loser out of all of this. It's it, obviously it's unfortunate. Um, but I, I do think, I do think the players, you know, they have to have a hard line as well. Like they're, they shouldn't just cave just because it, it, they need to get back on the field. I mean, we all want to see everybody back on the field. We want to see baseball, but they, they, I, I think they, you know, that's what we've seen in the past where the players have kind of given in. They've, they've, they, we wanted the labor piece, the last CBA, you know, was right up against the deadline and there was no lockout because the players kind of made a deal and it wasn't a good deal to be honest. And I, I think now they realize that. So they're going to have a hard line, I think. And so I think they're willing to, you know, we'll see this through, like, you know what the ownership we're willing to put up, if we can get something out of it, we want a more fair uh, deal. And I, and I, I'm willing to support that. Uh, you know, I want to see baseball as quick as anybody. I'm looking at buying tickets like the other day and I'm like, okay, I should buy these games. And then I'm remembering like, there is no games right now. There's a lockout. There's no point in buying games. I'm not giving the owner of Tom Ricketts my money right now. If I'm, if I don't have to, so it's very disappointing, but uh, the players need to fight and I support that fight. There is, there's this huge cloud hanging over the discussion of baseball right now. And uh, you know, we talked about the players being united and galvanized. Adam Wainwright doing a great job of undermining the negotiating position, saying if we went back to the previous CBA rules, we'd probably be willing to get back on the field right now. I'm not sure that's union solidarity from within. But Ronan, you've mentioned this. There's a point in the offseason where you start to get a little bit itchy and you start to expect baseball. We would be at that point less than a week from now. The Super Bowl is supposed to be the the unofficial closing bell on winter. The Super Bowl happens, and you're supposed to be able to look forward to spring training within a week, and that's not going to happen. And, you know, all offseason, I haven't quite gotten there, but we're at the point where pitchers and catchers would be reporting. We'd probably be getting photos of the first guys arriving there, doing long toss, taking their swings. We're not getting that. So we're really at the point where it's going to start to hit home that – it's going to be a long wait this year. I, I think the point that, uh, you know, cause you mentioned Adam Wainwright that he was trying to make, and he did so, I guess, inartfully or didn't really get come across, especially in writing. What is the fact that the owners have instituted a lockout. Uh, and that's the reason why we're not playing baseball. Yes. Like, let's not forget that the owners have instituted a lockout. If there was no lockout, they would be playing baseball, regardless of whether a CBA is signed. They would be playing baseball under the previous the rules of the previous CBA. That is what would be happening. Uh, there would be spring training. There would be uh, baseball games in April. It would be normal. I mean, this is what happened in '94. There was no CBA. They played, and now that's why Manfred said this is a defensive lockout. You know, we're trying to protect because the the players, you know went on strike in 94, but the players went on strike because the owners weren't negotiating. Like that's why there was no, nobody at the table. So they said, you know, if you're not going to negotiate with us, if we're willing to go like once Sonia Sotomayor ruled for them and they got favorable, they are ruled against the owners. Really? They went back to the playing without a CBA. So I think that's what Adam Wainwright was trying to say. Like yeah. you remove the lockout. We'll go back out there. We'll play. And the owners aren't negotiating right now. It's been 16. It's been more than two weeks since they made an offer to the players. In that time, the players have made two different offers and they've made concessions. It's like, look, I agree with the players. I haven't hidden that at any point here. I think ultimately what the players want is obviously they want more compensation. 
but they want more competitive teams. They want more teams trying to win baseball games. Other than owners who are trying to maximize profits, who doesn't want to see more teams trying to compete? Like, I don't want the Pirates to be good if it means the Cubs are going to win fewer games. I want the Pirates to be good to push the Cubs to build a better roster and beat their asses in the division. There are too many teams right now, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, you name it, that don't go out and try to win baseball games. That shouldn't be happening. And another thing, I saw this interesting stat earlier. In the last decade, the average valuation improvement or increase for a Major League Baseball team is $140 million a season. How many teams don't even have $140 million payrolls? And I know that a valuation increase isn't cash on hand or money in the bank necessarily, but we are talking about one of the safest bets or investments that you can make is owning a Major League Baseball team and seeing the value of that franchise and your assets increase more than $100 million a year. That is a real problem. If more teams try to win, more players will be compensated more fairly, certain careers will be extended, and everybody benefits from that. Look at look at the Denver Broncos. I mean, it's it's not baseball, but uh, it, it just goes to the whole, you know, the way the valuations are going insane for sports franchises. They're going to sell for a record $4 billion. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Um, the Bolin family bought that team in the 80s for around 70 ish to $80 million. That is it. If there was today, if that the, the, the value of that today is something around 200 some odd million, they're going to sell it for $4 billion. Yeah. That is an insane valuation increase. That's why everybody's the owners are trying to buy into this sport. Like if, if they were losing as much money as they claim to be, they wouldn't be as willing to miss games. No. If they lost as much money as they claimed in COVID, and I believe they lost money, they wouldn't be willing to miss games. They know this. So like you're, everybody's trying to get into the sport for a reason because yeah. they know that they, they, they can make tons of money. I mean, and if they can't afford it, then sell out. Yeah. Well, look, we've been bitching about owners. And uh, I like to take my shots at Dick Monfort when I can. But how about all these idiots that are clamoring, just absolutely clamoring for a salary cap in baseball? I don't want anything to do with a salary cap in baseball. I don't see how a salary cap benefits anybody but the profits of owners. And look at the National Football League. Look at how much money the National Football League makes per year and the cap on those rosters. That is insane. Why would people want that in Major League Baseball? Why would any hockey fan? Want to see that happen to Major League Baseball? The salary cap—it's like the luxury tax, really. It's—it's a penalty on the teams who want to spend. It's uh, forced—it's forced parity from a financial standpoint. And how many times did Blackhawks fans, after the the three Stanley Cups, how many times did they have to see key players traded away because they they had to get under this arbitrary number? The salary cap. I have no use for it in major league baseball. You need a salary floor more than anything. You need a minimum number that teams should be spending. You need that a lot more than a maximum number that they are allowed to spend. And I I don't know who these people are clamoring for a a salary cap, but I I don't know what the thought process is on that. I like you have zero use for it, Ronan. Well, unlike you, Randall, I read the replies on things like Twitter and comments Well, sure. Well, I like to see what people are saying, right? I like to see it. And I'm just shocked going through these stories and seeing all these people saying, oh, Major League Baseball needs a salary cap. I don't see, unless that's like Tom Ricketts burner account, or uh, like you're seeing with the Olympic Games right now, you got all these bot accounts that have to say good things about the host country. I think Major League Baseball has got these bot armies pushing for a salary cap because I don't see how it benefits anybody 
other than the owners. It's Rob Manfred's bot army based out of his server room in the New York City offices. Uh, yeah, I well, you know, I, there's a lot of people that, you know, they just believe what, you know, Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball spent 30 years. I mean, you go back to the Bud, actually longer than that, but go back to the Bud Selig, you know, they have been saying this forever, the ownership in Major League Baseball itself, like we need a salary cap, we need all this, and people eat it up, you know, they see the players as greedy because they're playing a sport for fun and they're making tons of money, but to go back to the salary cap, like if they're gonna, you know, I don't think a salary cap would ever coming, but if that was something that actually was in discussion, like open your books, like show us, yeah. show us what they're making because that that's never going to happen. Um, they're, they're, the players would never agree to a salary cap without actually seeing, you know, show us your books and we could tie the salary cap to whatever the revenues are or whatever, like they do in other sports, but that's not happening. And the players fought against that in 94 and they, they won out for the most part on that. And this goes back to something that we've discussed on multiple episodes uh, regarding narrative and regarding controlling that narrative and putting it out through the media. And how many times have we seen a headline say something like the players are refusing to get back on the field, yeah. framing it in a very pro ownership way. AP Sports, their, their Twitter account, Associated Press Sports, put out a tweet with that very framing not all that long ago. And that is where a lot of individuals get that framing from is this this anti-player anti-union stance that they're the ones refusing to work and we've talked about that on a number of occasions and the other thing we've talked about is what differs this work stoppage from 1994 is the fact that the players have a much more direct voice to the public right now by way of their social media accounts you don't need to get somebody to put a microphone in front of you in order to get the player's side uh, out into the ether right now and that is something that again differs very heavily from the 1994 work stoppage. So we're, we're seeing this play out in ways and on platforms and in territories that we've never seen before. And I think it's going to change the course of things and the perception of it, or at least try to change the perception of it very drastically. I hope so. I, I, I agree with you, Randall, that the players have a more direct line and we're seeing it to, to, um, uh, to the fans, but you know, you get a lot of fans talking back to the players and, and seeing how it is. So I don't know. We'll see. And, and uh, I just, a salary cap, a salary floor, I don't think would ever happen either just because the players would see that as a first step towards the salary cap. So yeah. I, I really, I, the CBT actually just to go back a little bit, one of the reasons why I think there is a lockout besides a preventive strike or whatever is the fact that the CBT, uh, the collective balance tax, the luxury tax has a sunset clause. So even if they were to go back to playing under the previous rules, there is no, there would be no collective competitive balance tax for this season. Uh, they wouldn't be playing under that because it's sunset last year. So I think they put the lockout in to prevent owners from spending. Very, very interesting. Um, that said, I want baseball. Yes, I want it here soon. Uh, talking about owners, my brother, Connor, we had him on the show last year. We'll get him back on after the lockout to actually talk Cubs roster stuff. He's been saying this for years. And as more time goes by and the more I think about it, I think he's spot on. What's wrong here? Spot the lie. George Steinbrenner was the last great Major League Baseball owner. Because say what you want about George Steinbrenner, that guy wanted to win. Yes, he wanted to make money. He made a ton of money. That guy wanted to win. And certainly that run in the late 90s, early 2000s, Yankees won. Is that true, false? What do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he definitely wanted to win. I would also say that the Yankees – 
got better when George Steinbrenner was forced away from uh, being heavily involved because they could actually develop some talent. Like, you know, the core guys that actually won those instead of trading them all away for high price or signing high price free agents. But I agree with you hundred percent. I was actually talking to my dad about earlier this today about the Steinbrenner family. Um, the Yankees spent a ton of money, right there. Cause they're, you know, they make the most money. They're New York Yankees. But if you actually go back and look at their the salary that they've spent compared to their actual revenues, George Steinbrenner was spending a way higher percentage, like a much higher percentage than Hale Steinbrenner and the Stein, current Steinbrenner family is doing. And so, I, you know, I, I, I do miss a George Steinbrenner type owner. Yeah, you know, you can look at different definitions of great, but I, I think in the definition we're discussing here, I, I wouldn't disagree too heavily with that statement. As far as a guy who is willing to spend and do just about anything it took to win, you know, different sport, but Al Davis, just win, baby. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with that. I think, like you said, you could define great in a lot of different ways, some of which would apply to George, some of which would not. But yeah, as far as an owner who is willing to spend and do whatever it took to get the players he wanted in there, I don't think that's necessarily wrong at all. So another astute observation by your brother. I mean, you could make the argument, and I'm not necessarily going to, but, you know, Steve Cohen's been out there and he's, he's brought in some talent to the New York Mets. He's paid a lot of money. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, Lindor, okay, it's two years. Lindor, and then he sure. went out and set Scherzer and a bunch of guys this offseason. So he's been out there. He's saying he's going to spend, and he's done it so far. I, it shouldn't be something that we, we have to pause and say, wow, look, an owner's trying to win baseball games, I, right? That I should agree. be the norm right across baseball. And I think a lot of fans, we all like to fantasize about, oh, if I were the third baseman for the Cubs, or if I manage the Cubs, or if I own the Cubs, I would try very, very hard for that team to be competitive year in and year out. And can't always say that even about uh, Tom Ricketts and this group, despite the fact that they have won, I think certainly from 2018 on, you can question a lot of the decisions that the front office make, made rather, and how the things ended with Theo uh, still doesn't really sit well with me, but times have changed, right? We're moving on and it's a different era for the Chicago Cubs right now, which makes news from the last week, particularly interesting. Bruce Levine, who is on Cubs payroll. He is a staffer with Marquee, also works with 670, the Cubs primary radio broadcast partner in Chicago. He is reporting that the Cubs are preparing to make an offer to world series hero and first baseman, Anthony Rizzo, following the lockout we've talked about anthony rizzo we've talked about chris bryan all these potential what ifs i gotta be honest with you guys though i'm not as excited about this as i feel like i should be randall what's going on here you know ronan i don't disagree with you necessarily and before we get into why that is i just want to say we could never forget anthony rizzo and everything he did everything he meant to this team but it almost it feels like a distant memory it, it feels like it was years ago that he was a Chicago Cub and it's it, that so much time has passed since it's been what eight months, but you know, I, I'm not, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I don't think Rizzo would hurt this team. And I think we know that there may not necessarily be competitive here in whatever the 2022 season ends up being, but you know, he's not the youngest guy anymore. He's 32. He, we know he's dealt with the back problems. He's clearly managed it because he's never missed more than 22 games in a season, even though he's had the same back problem, 20, 21 games in a season. I beg your pardon. Oh, I'd you're like not correct. You're not more. correcting me. You're, you're pointing out 22. Thank you. Oh, yeah. He's never missed more than roughly that many games in a season. Uh, so he's clearly knows how to manage it, but there's this notion that you can't cross the same river twice. 
you can't bring Rizzo back and suddenly everything is going to be perfect again. And I think you have to weigh what Rizzo would bring, how much money he would cost to what the long-term plan is with this team. And I, I won't go too much longer, but it wouldn't hurt the team. Right now, you, Frank Schwindel is your first baseman, and Anthony Rizzo is an upgrade over Frank Schwindel. But it's a question of how much is it really going to help this team? How much would it really improve a team? And the answer is it, it wouldn't not improve them, but I don't think it would make everything perfect again. So I'm not necessarily – I don't necessarily disagree with you, Ronan. I'm not super enthused about it. For me, you know, I, I, I would never turn down – Anthony Rizzo, I would never tell him, you know, to go away. I would never, if he wants to come back. And, and honestly, I don't know if he wants to come back. Cause even if the Cubs make an offer, like look at this roster, the Cubs are putting out there. Is that what Anthony Rizzo wants to go to? I don't know, but I, you know, he, the, out of all the guys that they trade away of the big guys, you know, I'm not talking about like Jake Marisnik here. Uh, he's the one I was like most comfortable not bringing back as Randall mentioned, he's, he's getting older. He's a bigger guy. First baseman had the back issues. Those, those, guys don't tend to age as well um you know and he's and as i expect like he's a guy i'm not expecting that's gonna be long for major league baseball maybe three four more years i could see him really kind of taking you know kind of going into decline at that point or you know and he's his legacy is probably the most secure to me as a cub he's played 10 years for the cubs he was there he was the pretty much the captain he was the team leader he's a cub if he retires today or even another couple of years he's going to be a cub he's that guy chris bryant who knows he can sign a 13-year contract somewhere next thing you know the cubs are the minority of his career so but you know the cubs are gonna have money to spend and if they're not gonna if, if they have to spend it on something and this is what's going to come back. Like, I'm not going to reject Anthony Rizzo. I think Anthony Rizzo improves the team. I think if you, you go, I'd rather them spend the money on Anthony Rizzo than not spend it at all. So I, I, if they have to pay him, you know, $20 million a year for two, three years, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Ronan, you hinted at it. Where do you stand on Anthony Rizzo? You hinted at it a little bit a moment ago. I just think of, of the priorities right now. It's sort of low on the totem pole, so to speak. Like, they need a shortstop. The Cubs yes. do not have a shortstop going into this season, and I'm very worried about that. Anthony Rizzo absolutely makes the roster better. You know the DH is coming. He could get a break defensively. You've got a left-handed power bat, a guy who draws walks. The guy is a Cub. He's a Cub legend. He's a Cubs hero. Jeremy, you were speculating about would he want to come back to Chicago. I actually think it would be very appealing to Anthony Rizzo to return to Chicago. One, there's no pressure next year. Like anything the Cubs do next year, it's going to be an okay environment. It's not like the last couple of years where you felt like the ship was sort of falling apart and there was this uncomfortable pressure around the franchise. I could also see him valuing being there as this next generation of talent gets to the major leagues and become the next generation of potential World Series winners in Chicago. And they do have a ton of money to spend. So if they are strategic... They may be okay next year. They could be very competitive in 2023 and a whole bunch of really good young hitters could be coming up by 2024. So I could see him seeing that ending his career in Chicago, having that kind of come full circle for him. But what do you pay for Anthony Rizzo right now? Even 360, that makes me go, man, that's a lot of money for an aging first baseman. Yeah. But I who think knows what his market value is. You're yeah. I, I, well, I, I think that would be a lot too. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it, but if, I think there'll be some teams that are interested in Rizzo, yeah. uh, but here's the thing: like Rizzo just sold his uh, his place and he moved out of the city, and then he's got to buy, come back, and then do that all over again. That'd be pretty funny. But I, I, I like, I, like I said, I'm not gonna get rid of. I mean, the, the Cubs have a lot of holes, and I'm not gonna turn down anybody that makes a team better, especially a, yeah. a 
uh, hero to the city of Chicago, or at least Cubs fans, that Anthony Rizzo is. It would be nice to see him finish as uh, as a Cub. But also, like, you know, one thing I, I do think is a reason why we could be seeing this is because the, that team might not be good next year. It might be pretty bad. Yeah. And what, especially if there, let's say there is loss of games, there might be some fan apathy. Uh, one way to get some fans maybe back into the, the seats a little bit is to actually put out, Hey, we've yeah. got Anthony Rizzo back here. Like, you know, he was gone for the second half of 2021, but he's back here in 2022. So I can see the Ricketts trying to, you know, get a little, maybe Anthony Rizzo's the team mascot over, uh, you know, Clark next year. And that would be my other concern. I don't think it's as big of a concern is that we end up with another Jake Arrieta situation. And I think 2022 Anthony Rizzo is, is and will be a better player than 2021 Jake Arrieta was, but there is that possibility that Rizzo declines very quickly and you end up seeing him basically having to be taken out to pasture as Jake Arrieta was. And again, I don't, think that would happen or at least the chances are lower but I wouldn't want to see that happen and one destination I hear tossed around for Rizzo would have been the the former Florida current Miami Miami greater Dade County state of Florida Marlins and I feel like that that would be a good landing spot for him they could use what he brings to that lineup Uh, he's close to home there and we don't have to worry about whether he's going to continue his legacy as a Cub or end up nosediving. I don't want to see him as a Marlin, but I do think that would be a good landing spot for him. I was going to say, Randall, it almost feels like you're complimenting Miami. Absolutely on? not. Absolutely not. And I'll deny it if anybody accuses me of it. Well, I, I mean, I do think he would you would be buying the decline of Anthony Rizzo. I think that you that's what would be happening if you get him. But let's also remember, like he was a Cub in July of 2021 it hasn't been I that know, long hasn't <laughs> been that long so like we're, you're gonna get the anthony rizzo pretty much that we we did last see and that's it's not exactly like Arietta was five years that's exactly what i said earlier it feels like it's been a lifetime since any yeah. of those three guys were cubs uh, again javier baez chris bryant anthony rizzo three of the greatest cubs that any of us are ever going to see in our lifetime and it feels like it's been an eternity since we got to see them play in a Cubs uniform. And part of that is the fact that it's the middle of February. Baseball is God knows how far away and it's not the regular season anymore, but even in September, it almost felt like a a distant memory. And that's just perception and and time and emotion all mixing as one. But it it feels like it's been a lot longer than July of 2021 that we saw all three of those guys in a Cubs uniform. And again, that's just, that's just perception and and the way I perceive things, but it, 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 it feels weird it feels weirder compared to what the reality is. Randall, I think too, part of the reason why it feels so long ago, and we have touched on this in previous podcasts, this hasn't been a typical off season in terms, obviously there's been nothing that's happened since the very first day of December when those final contracts were getting ironed out. The social media channels of these teams are all posting like players from the nineties and the early two thousands or older. It's like, there's no news. There's, there's just nothing happening that it feels like a particularly quiet off season because well, quite literally nothing's going on. Yeah. And you're seeing like the promo, like there's no promotions. I, I, yeah. I, you know, it's like, uh, I, I think I saw um, like a Cardinals thing. Like they put out, you know, their promotional schedule for the season. Like one day was, you know, like mystery third baseman bobblehead night. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I wonder who that's supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sweating here because the Cubs only come to Denver once a year. And I was so cocky last year that we're getting a four game set at Coors Field, four Cubs games. I moved here in 2015. The Cubs have never played four games here in that time. I'm thinking like a bonus game. I always go to all the games 
since I've been here when the Cubs are in town, it's mid-April. Uh, that's getting increasingly less likely as time goes by. And I guess the good thing out of that is it means I have to travel a little more to see the team once they start playing, get back to Wrigley, of course, and some road games. But as a Cubs fan that doesn't live back home, it really sucks if I'm going to miss these four games in Denver. And I, that's all I want. I want to watch baseball games. I want to go give Dick Montfort his money. I want to put on my Cubs hat. I want to go cheer for the team in the snow and all that fun at Coors Field in April. It's disappointing. Like we all yeah. wish to see the games. I, as I said the other day, I was, cause I'm not, I don't have seen tickets this year. I was looking at one of those 14 packs. I'm like sitting there on the computer, just picking out games. I'm like, I should, you know, and then they got to actually paying it. I'm like, why am I doing this? There's, there's no plan yeah. for games. And, and with this team, you could probably get them cheap anyways. But so it's disappointing. I'm ready to go. I'm raring to go to get baseball and, and yeah. we're not getting it. Well, I'm antsy and I'm so antsy that I ended up at an NBA game on Friday night, the New Orleans Pelicans and the uh, Denver Nuggets. And I've now been to two NBA games this year, one NHL game. And look, I like going to pro sporting events. It's nice being in those places and kind of seeing all the excitement. But that's me going, I need to get out and see some live sports. And I don't think there's baseball coming at the end of the month. Yeah, I you, I agree with you. It's just, it's a, it's a very disappointing time right now. Yeah. Ronan, you, you saying that you needed to go see live sports it uh, reminds me of the lyrics of a dying Cub fan's last request, wherein the singer uh, laments the fact that baseball drove him to uh, one thing led to another, soon discovered alcohol, gambling, dope, football, hockey, lacrosse, tennis. And you saying that you needed to get out and see live sports. You saying, I've been to two NBA games and an NHL game, like you're diving into the, 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 the most foreign of substances. It reminded yeah. me of that. Well, Steve Goodman, the man. Uh, that is uh, his really his iconic Chicago Cubs song. Everybody knows Go Cubs Go and all that. A dying Cubs fan's last request. That one, I think, hits the hardcore fans a little bit more. Go Cubs Go, the good celebration song and all that. But uh, I like Wrigley Field when it's rocking after games. I kind of get bummed out when it's a 90-loss team and they're playing that after games. Like, I remember the good days. Jeremy, the equivalent would be you're going to Hawks games, you're a season ticket holder. It's got to be weird getting Chelsea Dagger after goals versus what you saw, I don't know, eight years ago versus what it looks like now. Well, the it, last game the last game I went to, I got zero Chelsea Dagger, so there was that. <laughs> is it weird, though, like when you're in the stadium, and like you know what that song represents? That song is so iconic with three titles in five years. You see it now when the team's losing five to nothing to some crappy team in the league. That It's just got to be kind of lifeless. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's interesting, especially an interesting time for Blackhawks fans. And, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the fact that they're looking, possibly looking at some Cubs to uh, turn the thing around, which would be an interesting thing. But, uh, yeah, you know, you I've always thought, like, to me, it's always like, you know, at the end of a game, if you're, like, down 3 nothing and you get a goal and with 20 seconds left, it's like there's nothing really to celebrate here. Maybe if the winning percentage uh, is below – a certain percentage they should play a dying cub fans last request after a victory instead of go cubs go to uh to fit the mood of the team i remember the the rough years between the back-to-back -back titles in 0708 and the great run when theo came in starting in 2015 so i'm talking like 11 12 13 parts of 14 i mean really bad cubs teams here in go cubs go at Wrigley Field, it was almost insulting. The teams were so bad and playing that song when a 95-loss Cubs team beats, like, the Pirates. It just didn't feel right to me, and I just imagine that Hawks fans sort of feel that way as well. 
it's like uh, you go up to Milwaukee, Brewers might be losing 10 nothing, but somebody homers and Bernie slides down from his hovel yeah. into down his slide into the, the bucket of piss that I assume is at the bottom of the slide. So. And then he has to crawl back up the slide. Yeah, I'm I'm don't disagree with you. I think there's something to be said for maybe understanding a game situation. You know, the teams aren't gonna stop the 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 ambiance, they're not gonna stop the atmosphere just because the game is bad or the season is bad. But I've I've definitely had that same thought before. Like there, there might be something to be said for not shooting off your fireworks for a home run that makes the game. 10 to one in either direction. Yeah. But you never know. There might be some kid out there who just came. He wanted to see Bernie get in the slide and it's 11 to one game. And, and, you know, and you know what? That's, that's why they're not going to stop doing Christian Yelich hits the homer and he's excited because he got to see Bernie go down. Right. And you know, that's why they're not going to stop doing it because the ballpark is for everybody and you want everyone to enjoy themselves. I'm just saying, I've had that thought before that there might be something to be said for saying, you know, that this doesn't really change a whole lot. We can, we can hold on to the fireworks. We can tell Bernie to stay up there. You you are of course, correct. And that of course is why they do it and will not stop doing it. It's just a thought that I've definitely had before. Well, of the three of us, Randall, without a doubt, harbors the most resentment towards our neighbors in the NL Central up in Milwaukee. That is correct. I I don't like Milwaukee. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I like the rivalry. I love the fact that they're 90 miles from Chicago. I enjoy going to Miller Park. I like outdoor baseball at Wrigley Field, but it's nice, particularly in April, if you're going up there that you know the game's going to start on time, you're not going to be freezing your ass off. It's a good road trip for Cubs fans, and it's a convenient road trip. That said, they really messed up taking out the giant beer mug that Bernie used to slide into. <laughs> it just seems like a horrible omission. That was one of the coolest things about the old ballpark, which was an absolute dump in Milwaukee. Seeing Bernie slide into the beer cup, huge missed opportunity at the former Miller Park. At least they have holograms of Bud Selig you can go yeah. visit. Well, I remember go- Jeremy and I seeing the, the – they had an exhibit like – you could go inside Bud Seelig's office inside Miller Park, and you and I walked by it and went, "Why the hell would anybody want to do that?" Or you can Back go, you can go Bud sit Seelig's. all the way up, all the way up next to Bob Euchre and like look yeah. down on all the ants playing baseball. Bud Seelig's office inside the giant beer mug. Jeremy, I sat in those Euchre seats the year the ballpark opened. My family and I went up there, and what I'll remember about that night: brand new ballpark just had opened. It would have been two thousand and one. The roof was closed. It was pouring rain outside and there was water pouring down those support poles at the top. And I'm like, this is a brand new ballpark and the roof's already flooding. But, you know, I think it's a ballpark that has actually aged all right. And it's not what I would want in Chicago. I'm glad the Cubs don't play there. But for a city like Milwaukee, I think they did a very nice job and it makes for a good road trip. I love going up to Milwaukee once a year for a Cubs game. Yeah, it's a fine ballpark. I mean, it's not one of my favorite ballparks, but it's a good enough place to watch ball game. Uh, I, 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 they have a great tailgate scene. Yeah. And that is something that is vastly underrated. A lot of cities, particularly this part of the country, they don't know how to tailgate. People don't know how to tailgate. And that's something that I like to think Wisconsin introduced to the world, or at least to the Midwest. And they get that right up there. You've got beers, you've got brats, you've got good tailgating and it's Wrigley field North. So plenty of Cubs fans to take in some ball games up there. Um, let's go back in time though all the way back to 1970 when a young Randall J. Sanders was negative 17, but he was out there. He was in the universe. The world was conspiring to get us a Randall 17 years later. There is a Twitter account. I don't know this person. I just saw the tweet and I thought it was interesting. I wanted to bring it to the podcast. The account is at Cub Win. 
The name is Bad Chad. So I assume this is Bad Chad at Cub Win. But he dug up a pretty cool thing here. It was the Wrigley Field concession stand pricing in 1970. And his tweet was great. You could get a beer and a pack of smokes for $1 at Wrigley Field in 1970. Some of the other interesting items that were on there, you could get taffy apples back in the day at Wrigley Field. You could get a Smoky Link sandwich for 40 cents back in the day. Randall, when you looked at that list, did you see any item and go, damn, why don't they serve that today at Wrigley Field? Well, just about the entire left side of this menu, I look at the go, I'd take that, I'd take that, I'd take that, make a nice little shopping list here. Um, I do like that they list the Maxwell House coffee, which you could get for a meager 15 cents. I do like that they list Borden's milk. Ronan, I know you love stories involving milk, Cubs games, and myself. Uh, that's on there, a, a mere 20 cents. But yeah, it's, it's, it's funny reading this. We've, you've made reference to it earlier. I've been known to eat a thing or two or 10 at the ballpark every now and again, you give me $20, you buy five of everything on this menu. You'd be set for lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then breakfast two days later. And, you know, and selling ham sandwich and cheese sandwich. And I've often said, I think a good sub is kind of an underrated ballpark food. The Cubs did that for a little while at Wrigley. I think they they named the item after Madden. I forget what it was exactly. But you get ham sandwich, 35 cents, a, a cheese sandwich, the ever-present cheese sandwich, the working man's lunch, only a quarter. Um, so yeah, it's funny to see these, these old-time menus and what they used to serve at the ballpark. Uh, don't forget, you can get your, your salted in-shell peanuts, 15 cents and 25 cents. You get your Schlitz beer for 50 cents. Uh, your barbecued beef sandwich. I'm guessing that's yeah. like pulled beef, something like that. You're, you're paying a princely 45 cents for that barbecued beef. See, I love reading these old menus. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, to me, that smoke leak sandwich sounds right up my alley. I, I go 40 cents for that, but I, I, I like... Uh... I like $3 for a Cubs sweatshirt. I imagine, you know, let's say it's a cold <laughs> April day. Uh, you know, you're freezing. You might have underdressed to go to the ballpark and you're like, hey, it's like Randall. What could I do? I can get a sweatshirt for three bucks, an adult size Cubs sweatshirt that, you know, today, you know, I imagine they gouge you on that. I mean, you know, we got count obviously inflation, but still like $3 seems kind of cheap. And how about a 15 cent cigar? Yeah. You, got, you got three options, 15, 20, and 30 uh, cigars at the ballpark, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a nice one right there. Smoke them in your seats. Yeah. Have it old style, smoke your cigar, watch the 1970 Chicago Cubs, which was a pretty damn good team. Mm -hmm. So not bad, 1970 at Wrigley uh, Field. Yeah, you, you smoke your cigar. You can watch some Jim Hickman. You can get, you know, Billy Williams and Ron Santo out there. Yeah, why not? It's a fun team right after 69. They, they played pretty well. Yeah, and important to note, this is not just the food menu. It's also the souvenir list. Uh, get your all NL team lapel badge set for 50 cents. Get your uh, all NL team pennant sent only 75 cents. You could, with a $20 bill, fill your belly and decorate an entire room from this list. Uh, so I, I wish souvenirs were, were this, this cheap now. You get, yourself, you get yourself a new something every time you go to the ballpark. How about autographed baseballs? $3. Only $3. A, a bobblehead mascot doll. And I like that bobblehead is two words because that's how they spelled things in the 70s with, with two words. Uh, only a dollar and a quarter. What a, what a bargain. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, is that, are you getting an Ernie Banks autographed $3 baseball? I mean, that, that seems pretty good deal. That's, yeah, that's, that's a that, very good deal. That's <laughs> yeah. an investment. That We're will appreciate Santa. in value just a little bit as the decades go by. <laughs>
because that what was 70 1970 that's about ernie's last year or was it 71 so you know he's on that team ron sano billy williams there's some play, fergie jacobs there's Big some players play. on those those yeah. teams you get three dollar autograph baseball and that's the lapel the lapel set also really neat you know something else that stood out to me is so all these things are super cheap are you talking about a pack of smokes for 50 cents back in 1970 i was shocked at how expensive the pencil was so you get a scorecard at 1970 at Wrigley Field. It's 15 cents. The pencil is 10 cents. Cigar, 15 cents. Pencil, 10 cents. I thought, damn, that's where the Cubs were making money in 1970. Doesn't cost anything to make a pencil. Sell it for 10 cents. You're making a pretty big profit right there. Well, it's good advice. I I, I know my dad does this, and uh, you always bring your own pencil to the ball game, especially yes. if you want to keep score. <laughs> I'm the same way, though. That's very funny that he says that. I do keep score quite often. Maybe half the games I go to at Coors Field, and I always bring my own pencil. Yeah, You got to be ready to go. You can't bring sharpeners anymore now that the metal detectors yeah. are at the ballpark, but you got to be ready to go with that. And, uh, boy, doing it in pen, talk about taking a leap of faith there when you bust out the ballpoint pen you're trying to do score. Awesome. Our buddy Stan Miller, who's been a, a faithful listener of this podcast, he shared with our Twitter account, at, at BTYL Podcast. He said a smoky link and a frosty malt, section 226 on the first baseline. That's his youth. That's a pretty good way to be a kid watching Cubs baseball. Smoky link, frosty malt, lower deck, first base side near the visitor's dugout where you can see into the Cubs dugout. That's as good as it gets. Stan knows what's up. Yeah, give me one of those smoky links. I'm all down for that. Stan also told us that Pro's Pizza, which is listed on the menu there, uh let's see a pro sausage pizza 50 cents to get the pizza at the ballpark that was rebranded as ron santo pizza and then naturally that got me thinking about our old haunt the old stadium sports club in des plains which had jeremy's favorite item santo's sausage at the old stadium sports club i do love when delicious meals are named after our ball players and for those of you out there not from the des plains area who were not aware of the stadium sports club it's exactly what it sounds like. We're talking exposed brick walls. We're talking rows of cheap televisions lining the, the top of the walls near the ceiling, a big projector screen for the whatever game happens to be most important. Uh, softball teams you dropping in after their, their beer league games, people there just to drink, eat cheap pizza. It was a, the perfect kind of suburban dive. It has been closed for a number of years. Yeah. We all miss it very much. It was a regular thing. You'd go there, you'd watch the Bears, you'd watch the Cubs, you'd get your cheap, mediocre, but perfectly tasty pizza. The, the kind of place I miss very much. Yes, 100%. You could go in there, get a large two-topping pizza. I'm a sausage pep guy. I like to get the meat on the pizza. You could get a pitcher of beer with a reasonable tip to your waiter who was the doppelganger of Andy Kaufman. Like all those conspiracy theories, is Andy Kaufman dead? He is not dead. He's a bartender and waiter at the Stadium Sports Club in Des Plaines. You and could do all of that. You. Oh, he did. He knew us. We were in there all the time. You could do all that for $20. Talking a decade ago. That place was awesome. And to your point about the TVs, this was in the era of HD TVs and nice screens and everywhere. It was it was the old Big, heavy box TVs, one after the other, lining the top of that place. When the projection screen worked, which was maybe half of the time, it was dark. You could barely see anything on it. It was a dump, but it was one of our dumps. And I absolutely miss a place like that. 
Oh, I miss Wrigley. I mean, it was a dump, but it was our yes. dump. <laughs> Wrigleyville. Um, you know, maybe we got to head down and you know, go see some coom dogs, see how his yes. uh, little haunt is doing. I hope it's doing fine. Obviously, a lot of restaurants have struggled over the last two years or so, but that is absolutely on the list. You just can't beat that. Two topping pizza, pitcher of beer, tip. You're out for 20 bucks. Many, many good nights at that place. And I also, when I was looking at these Wrigley Field prices, imagine showing that to Dick Montford. He would have a heart attack. <laughs> If he saw those prices right now, can you get anything at Wrigley Field? I, I, I'm sort of serious here. Can you get anything at Wrigley Field right now for under $5? You know, I don't know that you can. The hot pencil? dogs, yeah, the maybe pencil. the pencil, maybe the pencil, maybe the scorecard. As far as most of the stuff on this menu, I'm not sure that you can because the hot dogs are more expensive than $5. Fries are more expensive than $5. Uh, so no, I, I don't think you can get anything at Wrigley for under $5. Even a bottle of water is going to set you back more than that. So no, yeah. I don't think you can get anything for under $5. You definitely can't get it. Well, maybe you can get a pack of cards for under $5. Maybe so. Jeremy, you're the season ticket holder in the group. You've been out to Wrigley Field the most of the three of us in the last couple of years. What's your best bang for the buck food-wise at Wrigley Field these days? I know you're a bleacher guy. Is it the hot dogs? I mean, where do you go for that? pristine meal at Wrigley Field in 2021? Well, for me, I, I since I was out in the bleachers the whole time, um, I just went to hot dogs all the time. That, that was my joint. I would I like to go there. Uh, it's fun because, one, you get, you know, specialty dogs and, and specialty things, and hot dogs closed them, you know, a little while ago. So I, I like to just going back there. And, two, you got the fun names. You got the Les Lancaster, you know, just different, all types of different names for dogs. So I always like to go there. That was my spot. And uh, Ronan wouldn't approve, but, uh, you know, their only options were you had to get the bottled uh, Diet Pepsi or Pepsi. Oh, disgusting. It, that was the only option at the hot dog. So that's what I took. You know, I'm going to I'm going to air a grievance here regarding Wrigley Field concessions. All of the soft serve ice cream dispensers in the upper deck are now the non dairy, the oh, non dairy no. soft serve ice cream. You have to go all the way down to the lower concourse if you want real dairy soft serve. And that is just a little bit disappointing. I'm glad that there are uh, a whole range of dietary options for people who have dietary restrictions. But sometimes a guy needs some real dairy soft serve. And you shouldn't necessarily have to go clear down to the second floor of the ballpark to uh, to pick up. So I'm airing a grievance. I know I know Cubs are big fans of the podcast. I know they're listening. Can, can we get one? Can we get one dairy soft serve dispenser on the upper deck, please? I, I'm, yeah, I'm picturing Randall. I'm picturing Randall on like April 12th running around trying to get the dairy soft serve ice cream. That is incorrect. Curious. It was August. It was August, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Well, I'm just saying. I'm picturing you on April 12th doing it. Now April 12th is hot chocolate and cookies. Yeah. But never a bad day for a frosty malt at Wrigley Field. With the uh, wooden the one... spoon, with the wooden tongue dispresser oh, spoon. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm the one uh, who's not in <laughs> Chicago right now. Coors Field here, a place I get to. I, I ballpark I was at about 20 games last year, including the All-Star game and the Futures game. Best item at Coors Field, pulled pork sandwich. Get it down That's the first baseline good. in the sandlot. Jeremy, yeah, I think you did have that one of the nights that you were out here. That's the best thing you could go for those that are adventurous, and Randall's very adventurous, the Rocky Mountain oysters get a not little that adventurous, that. not yeah. that adventurous. I, I I'm not particularly adventurous when it comes to food. I'll try a lot of things. Uh, I'll try a lot of things within reason. I, I, yeah, I don't know that I could quite bring myself to do the whole Rocky Mountain oysters thing. If I ever do, I will let you know. I don't. I don't think so. And if anyone out there does not know what uh, Rocky Mountain oysters are, you 
don't necessarily need to know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You'll, you'll find out if you need to. Okay. Uh, well, Randall knows from experience, I guess. Uh, so, but I agree with you with the pulled pork. That was good. Uh, yeah. And those sausages I thought were pretty decent as well. That were those like spicy sausages. Yeah, they've got a couple different hot sausages. The other thing, the equivalent of hot dogs here in Denver is a company called Biker Gyms. They've got a lower deck stand at Coors Field. They've got an upper deck stand at Coors Field behind home plate. My recommendation there, and Jeremy, you've had this and you've enjoyed this, the elk jalapeno cheddar dog. That's some pretty, pretty good stuff. You eat some elk, you're ready to go out and take on the world. You throw Uh-oh. some jalapeno and cheddar in there. You're ready to do it. He's so morphing into Joe Rogan right here with the whole. No, help no, talk. no. I just find it. That, that's the Colorado <laughs> in me coming out as I'm much joking. as anything. Um, I think Randall would be partial to the reindeer sausage that you can get. You know, I've heard. Food. I've heard reindeer is not a particularly tasty meat, but I, I've never tried it myself. I have had venison, which I found to be a little fishy, a little gamey. It, it's not my favorite. Uh, it's not my favorite animal. Uh, but reindeer, I've heard, you, you really have to cook it properly, or it does not make for particularly good eating. I just asked Santa. I'm sure he's got the recipes. Oh, that's barbaric. Uh, shifting gears again here, AAA for just a minute. We got some news in the last week that uh, starting here in the 2022 season, and the minor leaguers are not impacted by this Major League Baseball lockout. The AAA season moving to 150 games. They're getting an extra week tacked on to the end of the season. So they'll now be playing deep into September. Uh, what do you think's motivating this? I think, I honestly, I think, uh, I think the, uh, the change a couple of years ago in uh, September one uh, call-ups where you, you've gone from a 40 man roster, pretty much. I mean, teams wouldn't actually go all 40, but you'd have 33, 34, 35 guys on the roster to now 26 to 28. That's a lot. That's a lot of guys that, you know, aren't actually going to be playing. And so I, I think, you know, there's a little bit there, just get some more guys playing that wouldn't normally have been called up, but aren't going to be called up anymore, called up anymore. I think that has, and you know, a more of a full season. I, I actually think it's a good thing for the players for the most part. I mean, they're going to get paid more and they're going to get more games. And it's interesting to note that most of the Cubs top prospects are not on the major league 40 man roster. And so they will be completely unaffected by the lockout. And we talk about Brandon Davis all the time. He is their probably pretty consensus number one prospect, and he will be able to play full bore for Iowa full season, hopefully assuming he stays healthy. Um, And likewise with other guys who are probably closer to contributing like Ryan Jensen, like Caleb Killian, none of these guys are on the 40 man roster. And so they will not be affected by the ongoing lockout. And I think that's a little bit of a boon because there are some organizations where your top prospects are on the 40 man and they are going to be subjected to different restrictions as the lockout continues. Uh, As for what's motivating this, I think the minor leagues uh, are able to read the writing on the wall. And I think they know they are going to be, figuratively and in some cases literally the only game in town um for at least the first month of the season and i think there's going to be, and they don't know it could be longer than that and i think they are moving to uh, potentially capitalize on that towards the end of the season because who knows where mlb is going to be uh, in september who knows what the season's going to be like who knows how it's going to be affected so i think they're taking this opportunity to say hey we have an opportunity to maybe take a bigger piece of the pie here. And I think they are taking that opportunity. And as Jeremy said, good for them. Minor leaguers get more at bats, more innings. These minor league teams, they get to make more gate and that's good for everybody. So good for them. Well, we don't see as many high profile September call-ups as we saw 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, That isn't, I mean, it does happen. 
it, it does happen where top prospects still get called up in September, but not in the volume. It felt like 10, 15, 20 years ago. One other positive this could be that if the lower level minor leagues are finishing up a little bit earlier, maybe some of those players will get a taste of AAA baseball in late September and then eventually get to the major leagues maybe that next year. So that's one thing we could see from it. I hate to ask this question, but I'm going to. Will there be more games played this year in Des Moines or Chicago? I'm, I'm going to guess equal. I'm <sighs> going to guess equal. I think both are going to play a 150-game season. And if you, had, if you needed me to answer your question as asked, I might be willing to wager that AAA plays more games this year. Right. I'm, I'm increasingly pessimistic. I'm going to be the optimist in the group. I'm going to say there will be more games played in Chicago, I think. Uh, well, first of all, you're going to get both the White Sox and the Cubs. So <laughs> add both up, but uh, I think uh, I, I'm just gonna be the the, the optimist and say the, that they somehow figure something out, you know, in the next two three weeks, and we'll get it. But who knows? I mean, I, if you're gonna say no, I wouldn't say you're wrong. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable water right now. Um, touching back on the CBA for a minute, Rob Manfred is set to speak to the media tomorrow. That's Thursday. So presumably some things are going to come out there because he only tells the truth, you know, when he talks to the media. Um, also, apparently, Major League Baseball is preparing a counteroffer, which could come as early as tomorrow as well. So we'll see. By the time folks are listening to this podcast tomorrow, there could be a whole lot of interesting news on the Major League Baseball front. But I hope you're right, Jeremy. I want to see more games at Wrigley Field to Des Moines this year. And I know we're all planning on getting out to Des Moines at some point to see the AAA Cubs. Yeah, I, I I definitely want to see uh, more games at Wrigley, and and I just I I really think when it happens, it's going to happen fast. So my hope is that you know what, at some point it's going to happen, and but we'll see. I uh, you know I I honestly have no idea. It's just a fifty fifty shot in the dark. Yeah. It, yeah. Rob Benford has two heads. One one always lies. One tells the truth, and you have to figure out which is which. I don't like when he speaks. I, in fact, I am shocked that somebody could have such a high level executive position and be such a bumbling idiot when it comes to speaking to the media. I remember too, during the COVID, the world series that was played down in Texas, Peace when he was metal. getting his ass just booed off by all those Dodger fans, he couldn't talk. He was at the end of the game. You're the commissioner of major league baseball. He's got a lot of responsibilities. His primary responsibility increasing profits for the owners. But how do you get to that type of an executive level position with piss poor communication skills? It's incredible. And it's such a bad look for the sport. I feel like, and this might be true with some other people as well, in terms of uh, commissioners and, you know, other things, but I feel like he might be uh, an, an example of Peter principle where people are promoted to the job, you know, above like where they're competent, because when you're competent and really good at one job, you get promoted and you're eventually, you're just promoted. I mean, that's the theory. You're eventually just promoted to the level where you can't really handle it. And that's where you kind of stall. Well, we're going to come back next week with number 56 and we're going to have a lot to talk about on the CBA, but fingers crossed something good comes out of the major league baseball owners tomorrow and i really do hope they counter because at least if they counter there is movement and there is progress in the right direction and as we've mentioned a couple times here it's been more than two weeks since the major league baseball owners have proposed something to the players uh, but this is the 55th episode of behind the yellow line we are celebrating all the great cubs over the years who've worn number 55 and i'm proud as hell about this number you start getting higher up fewer and fewer names come into it but 55's up there 
you've got Augie Ojeda, who wore the number back in 2000. Courtney Duncan, a member of that 2001 Chicago Cubs team. Sean Estes in 2003. Remember that game in Cincinnati that Sean Estes had at the end of the season? Two other names that'll stand out to Cubs fans. Ryan Terrio, first stint in 0506. And then Coy Hill, a Cub for multiple years there in the late 2000s. There are some great names here. Maybe not the greatest players of all time, but at least in our lifetime, these are some uh, iconic, familiar faces. And Ronan, I don't know how you did it, but we we got to this discussion right around the 55th minute of tonight's oh, podcast. Fate. It's fate is what it is. Yeah, you know, I've been saying that as we get into these higher numbers, the lists are going to get shorter and shorter, and you're going to get a whole lot of fringe guys. And that's exactly what this list is. This is the fringiest fringe guys to ever fringe. Les Walrond, whom I remember from that great 2006 Cubs team, made a couple starts for that team. He had one decent strikeout game against the Pirates. He was otherwise awful, as you know, the guy's name is Les Walrond. You're not expecting all-star performance from a Les Walrond. You know, Kevin Hart, who briefly tried to be a thing. Uh, Blake Parker. Oh, a very successful is, comedian. That's right. He's also a very successful comedian. Not a great baseball player, but a very prolific comedian. Blake Parker, who's still kicking around Major League Baseball uh, a decade after he wore 55 with the Cubs. Mm. And Ronan, you mentioned him, Coy Hill, one of your all-time favorites. Yeah. Uh, if you added up Coy Hill's hand and Mordecai Brown's hand, you get Antonio Alfonseca, three plus three equals six. And one of the enduring Coy Hill memories is a game against the Marlins in one of these seasons that was not particularly good where Coy Hill was, I believe, running down the line and the Marlins first baseman kind of brushed him with his shoulder as he went by and Coy Hill, his teammate had to kind of say, okay, let's, let, you know, let's go back to the dugout. And again, Bob Renly, whom I don't agree with on much, he pointed out that it's a good thing that Coy Hill was led away because, and I quote, he would have broken that guy into a million pieces. So Coy Hill uh, a very tough individual, apparently, between losing his fingers and whatever else his mindset was. A guy who would break other individuals into a million pieces if allowed to his own devices. True or false, Jeremy? I own a Coy Hill 55 jersey. True. True. True story. Got that as a gift back in college, and I don't wear it anymore. It's a little too small these days, but I'm not throwing that thing out. I'm keeping that thing till the end of time. And you, Ronan, you mentioned Ryan Terrio, the one of four numbers that he wore as a Chicago Cub, 55 in his debut. You mentioned him in our pre-show meeting. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say here, looking at these numbers here, so Coy Hill wore 55 in 05 and 06. I have a hard time remembering a lot of Coy Hill on the 05 Cubs. And my question to you guys was, right, did he Terrio, even play? Right? You're talking about I'm Terrio. sorry, Coy Hill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm still thinking about Coy Hill because I, I love Coy Hill. Coy Hill on Coy the Hill. mind. Coy Hill on the He's mind. always on my mind. Yeah. Ryan Terrio, 2005. I, I just kind of, I remember he was around that team. Did he even get to 10 games as a Cub he was, in He was a September call-up. He did not come up until the minor league season has ended. had ended. If I remember correctly, and if I don't, I'm, Jeremy probably has the correct answer. He'd had a pretty good minor league season. I want to say maybe at double A. And he was, when that season ended, he was kind of a reward call-up. You know, some guys you, you call up because they factor into your big league plan. Some guys you call up because you got the roster spot. They had a really good minor league season. Maybe they're not a prospect, but you're like, you know, what? we're going to reward you by bringing you up to the major leagues. We're not going to hurt your service time because we don't think you're going to factor in. That's what Terrio was in 2005. He was one of those reward call-ups. He was at the very end 
of the season, but I remember him coming up and I remember someone describing him as having had a pretty good season in the minors that year. And that's why he came up. So you are correct, Ronan. He in fact only played, I believe nine games for the 2005 Chicago Cubs and yeah, nine games wow. for the 2005 Chicago Cubs. So he was a very, very late season call up again, reward for his minor league season. So you are correct. He, he did was, you, did you say that Terra wore four different numbers as a cup? I did. As a matter of fact, so uh, two is as, the main one. As we know, this happens to be my area of expertise. He came up in number 55. Uh, Jeremy Brunitz was on the club in 2005. Uh, Jeremy Brunitz, a career number three on his jersey. Ryan Terrio, I believe, started the 2006 season in number 55. He very quickly switched to number three, much lower, better number for an infielder. The Cubs acquired Cesar Isturis in 2006, also a career number three. Uh, Terrio, being the young man in that particular uh, transaction, he gave number three to Isturis. He switched to number seven. And then ahead of the 2007 season, he gave number seven to incoming Cub Mark DeRosa. And he took oh. the number two that he would wear for the rest of his time as a Cub. So I don't know much in this world, but I can always tell you what four numbers Ryan Terrio wore as a Cub, <laughs> when he wore them, and why he wore them. I got to say, too, I'm a bit surprised by the enduring number two Terrio jerseys at Wrigley Field all these years later. Like, obviously, the last decade, the Bryants, the Schwarbers, the Rizzos have sort of taken over the stands. But every time you go to Wrigley Field, you're good for at least one number two Terrio jersey. Yeah, well, that, you know, there's there's no accounting for taste. So it's always surprised me as well that Terrio had such a big following. I mean, he has a fun name, the Riot. Uh, but, uh, I, I remember him coming up, I, I want to say oh six, and he had like a monster month. Like he was really good. He just, I, I remember reading in that baseball prospectus, like the following year, pre 2007 and his blurb was something like anybody can have a great month. And I just remember thinking about that with Ryan Terrio. And I've always thought that like, you know what, anybody can have a great month. Remember that in April, uh, when you see like a guy go off or something like anybody can have a great month. And I always think of Ryan Terrio as the perfect example who like he had 135 OPS plus that year. So like he had in 53 games, so he went off. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, there's some other names that I, I, I thought were interesting just because, uh, I just want to get back here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Terrio did well, but uh, how about Brian, for coaches? You got Brian Butterfield. You got Mike Napoli. Like those are some interesting names. I thought Jeff Pentland, your guy yeah. who uh, helped Sammy out, you know, to have a monster year. And uh, Ed Butter was just in the news for not good reasons the other day. So uh, I didn't we'll see that. See about... Oh yeah. He's probably not going to be uh, coaching next year because uh, he refuses to get vaccinated. Well, oh. all right then. Yeah, he said he hadn't seen his wife in like two years who has like <laughs> issue who has uh you know uh comorbidities or whatever and and now he's he's actually happy to get to see her. Well, the brilliant individuals out there, truly. Yeah, not sure where you're going with that, to be honest with you. Uh let's get back to players for a yeah. second though. Sean Estes. Say what you want about Sean Estes. He was with the team for one year, that division winning team, the magical run in 2003, the enduring memory of Sean Estes, September 24, 2003, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. It was the Cubs' 86th win of the year. They'd win 88 games. So just down the home stretch, they needed a dominant pitching performance. What does he do? Nine innings, a shutout, five strikeouts, lowering his ERA to 5.73. The Cubs needed Sean Estes that night in Cincinnati, and they got a different guy than they had the whole year. But that game sticks with me. And talk about going out on top 
is a Chicago Cub. Badass moment there from Sean Estes. Great moment from a guy who didn't even make the postseason roster. And for some reason, I always thought of Sean Estes like a better pitcher than he was. But it is tough in those late 90s, early 2000s to like judge ERA, you know, because like a sure. four ERA was real, especially in the American League. It's like a 4.5 ERA. That's like a great ERA. And that's like when I was, you know, growing up. And so it's always been kind of like a weird what well, that's what we grew up with. But Sean Estes, he, he did damage that year. Uh, or excuse me, he was bad that year, but he did damage in that game. He was he was great against the Cincinnati Reds. So a huge moment when you needed it. His career would go a couple years later. He went to Colorado for a while, Arizona, San Diego, missed a couple of years with injuries, and then came back in 2008 for his final season with the Padres at the age of 35. So no disrespect to Sean Estes. It wasn't a great year for him. That said, helped the team win the division, and that night in Cincinnati – Absolutely memorable. Cubs lineup that night, Kenny Lofton, Mark Grudzelanek, Sammy Sosa, Moise Salou, Aramis Ramirez, Randall Simon, Alex Gonzalez, Paul Bake, uh, Paul Baco, rather. Pretty fun lineup there for the 2003 Chicago Cubs. And then coming in off the bench, our guy Doug Glanville, Troy O'Leary, Tom Goodwin, Eric Karos. Classic Cubs names on that 03 roster. If you had not told me that that was the 2003 roster, it would have been instantly recognizable as a 2003 lineup. Like every every name in that lineup just screams 2003 in bright, bright blue neon letters. What what a 2003 lineup that was. Well, Kenny Lofton, Randall Simon. Those, I think well, yes, I'm aware they were only Cubs in 2003. Uh, but I'm just saying, if you had not told me what year that was, it would have been instantly recognizable, even without the guys who... Uh, we're only on the team in 2003. It just has that that sound to it, those names. I had a question, and it's just to go back a little bit. Uh, Courtney Duncan, a 55. Mm. And now my memory, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong here, is Courtney Duncan blowing a game on the south side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Courtney Duncan gave oh, like up an extra a, inning game. It was a game winning or game losing, rather, grand yeah. slam to Carlos, Carlos Lee, Lee on the yeah, south side of both. A ball game I was at actually at Old Comiskey Park. Um, what was his name? David Wells, I think, started that game for the White Sox, if my memory's right. But uh, he might have. He years. got hurt real early in that season. Uh, uh, my memory is David Wells started that game, but Courtney Duncan ended that game with Carlos Lee. El Caballo hitting one out to the bleachers in left field. Sad yeah. walk back to the car at Sox Park that night. I yeah, I was looking for confirmation on that because I remember watching it and I just remember Courtney Duncan. That's like my Courtney Duncan memory. Is well. Who, giving that as, up totally totally and as sad as that was a couple weeks later even a week later when the white Sox went to wrigley field the first game at wrigley field ricky gutierrez yep. hit a game-winning grand slam for the cubs in the eighth inning over to left field over carlos lee's head so that team was magical we talked a lot about him over the last year great moment uh, more so ricky hitting the grand slam than el caballo hitting one off courtney duncan here's one for you both i don't think if i just say the name you're going to know it but i'm going to add a little caveat at the end here and maybe you'll remember it i know i've told the story before there was one former cub who appeared in that game that sean estes had the complete game and shut out to beat the reds it was a relief pitcher before i give the obvious hint anybody want to throw a name at the relief pitcher for the cincinnati reds and i do not think either of you will get it Ooh, uh, it's obscure a bit obscure a bit david obscure. weathers good guess but no but that's a real solid guess yeah, I don't I don't have anybody coming to mind here. So he was he was a cub prior to 2003 and yeah. then he ended up on the Reds. And uh, here's your hint. All right. This former cub physically accosted me 
at All-Star Kids Day 1999 at Wrigley Field when I criticized the Chicago Cubs bullpen. He pushed me back into my seat. Is Mike Morgan a name coming to mind? I got no ill will to Mike Morgan. He never no. assaulted me. I, this guy, I, though, pushed me into my seat. I've heard you tell this story. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying I, to remember I've heard this the story. I, it's in, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? I have a different guy coming up and I can't. And it's see right now I'm thinking of Mark Fiery, but that's not it. I, I it's a different guy. I know that's not it. And I'm. Oh. Let me ah, tell you who he played for. I, I don't know that this will help, but it might. Minnesota. The Cubs, the Padres, the Pirates, the Reds, and he ended his career with a pennant-winning team in Denver. Man. I'll give it to you. None other than former first-round pick Dan Serafini. That's who it was. That's what I was thinking of, and I couldn't get his name in my brain. I'm like, once you said it was Dan Serafini, I, for some reason, Serafini and Mark Fiery, like go together with me. Those, those two guys. I'm, I'm glad the name was in your brain because that name was never in my brain. Well, it wasn't in my brain, but that's the guy I was trying to, that's the guy I was picturing and I couldn't think of his name. Well, it's Dan Serafini. And maybe I will rehash that story here. One of these future episodes, 1999, All-Star Kids Day, Wrigley Field. I said, oh, bullpen's not so good. Dan Serafini pushed me back into my seat and yeah, I'll never forget it. So Here's to you, Dan Serafini, wherever you are today. Uh, <laughs> final minute or so of the show. Anything of note? Bears, Bulls, Satellite tears. What do we have here well, to bring? I, this I, I would like to bring up of note, and I, just because I think it's interesting, I mentioned it earlier, and I know not everybody here is so eager to talk Blackhawks, but how about the fact that uh, Jeff Greenberg, the Cubs assistant GM, interviewed for the job, uh, interviewed for a job, executive position. I don't know if he interviewed for the GM spot with the Chicago Blackhawks, and I think that is a very interesting, and especially after it's reported that Jed Hoyer has helped with the search. Uh, you know, the Blackhawks president of business operations is married to the Cubs VP of marketing and sales. So we got some cross-pollination here um, that has happened in the past, not necessarily always the best, but what uh, I think, you know, from everything I've read, Jeff Greenberg is a very smart guy, and it would be interesting to see if the Cubs lose him and if Jed Hoyer was involved in getting him to go to another organization. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, you, you see this from time to time is, you know, a, a talent evaluator and executive from one sport jumps to the other sport. Paul DePodista comes to mind, the former Major League executive and uh, Moneyball figure um, who jumped from Major League Baseball to a, a front, front off position with the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, if a guy is more of a, an economics background. They figure that your ability to evaluate value and talent will carry over sport to sport. doesn't matter what the sport is. You know, they're not bringing in a guy from the Cubs front office to suddenly evaluate hockey players based on their, their speed, their skill, their shot. It's a matter of, can you evaluate value based on, based on talent? And that's always interesting to see a guy jumping from one sport to the other and see if that ability to kind of evaluate from an economic standpoint uh, will translate over. So that's always interesting to see when a guy jumps sports like that. It seems also, and I'm not a hockey guy, so if I'm talking out of my ass here, what else is new? It uh, seems like there are some severe culture issues around the Chicago Blackhawks yeah. these days. Uh, so maybe it's a good sign that the Cubs front office personnel are being brought over there. Of course, he's responsible for putting together a roster and all of that, but it just seems like every headline I see about the Blackhawks right now is cringe, uh, especially when the owner opens his mouth. Well, that was a total succession moment. Uh, I don't know if you guys don't watch, but uh, Danny Wirtz went straight up Logan Roy on, or excuse me, 
Rocky Wirtz went straight up Logan Roy on Danny Wirtz's Kendall Roy, where <laughs> Rocky just kind of shot everything down. Even as Danny's been out there in the media, he, he, he was on TV the other day talking to the cat, the cat man, you know, trying to get, trying to get as much media access as he can. I, um, but, uh, you know, I just, I just think it'd be interesting from both the Cubs perspective, you know, losing a guy and having Jed Hoyer involved in, you know, losing a key figure. Maybe he just wants to get a guy, you know, a promotion anywhere he can get him. But uh, I, I don't necessarily want the, you know, as much as a big Blackhawks fan I am, I don't want the Cubs to have a brain drain. Hmm. All right, let's end with this final question here. Big Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Randall, who's winning the big game Sunday in LA? Ooh, that, you know, this is tough. I don't necessarily have a, a bias either than this. I'm probably going to say the Rams. I think their offense probably overcomes Bengals defense. Um, so that that's my outsider, unbiased, random guess. I think Rams over Bengals. Who you got, Jeremy? Uh, the smart money, I would say, got to be on the Rams. I mean, the Rams are the, be- the better team. I like Matthew Stafford. I, I think it's great that he's going to be a Super Bowl quarterback. If he wins, he's equal to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so... Um, but I like Joe Burrow and I like the Cincinnati Bengals and I'm rooting for the Bengals. I, I think their offensive line is probably going to get manhandled by the, uh, I almost said St. Louis, the Los Angeles defense there. But you know what? I'm going to put a stake in it. I'm going to say Joe Burrow goes off. I'm going to say cool. Jamar Chase has a big game. I'm going to say that the Bengals somehow pull this one out. Go Bengals. Well, I just want an exciting game. I want it to come down to the very end. And really, I love both quarterbacks. I think they're both great. They're fun to watch. Stafford, all those years in Detroit, I just wish he was a bear. I think it would have been awesome to have a quarterback of that caliber. And I'm happy he's getting an opportunity on the big stage. I'm sad Tom Brady retired. I love Patrick Mahomes. It's nice to see some fresh faces, though, in this game. And I would be happy if either team won despite the fact that I don't care for the owner of the Los Angeles Rams. I don't even know who owns the, the uh, Bengals. So I'm probably not like that person. If I knew Brown. who they were too, uh, is it? Yeah. The son of Paul Brown, who I see. made himself the, he's the GM and he's the only GM that the team's had in like 30 years. And he's just the owner of the team. Well, that's interesting. And uh, good stuff. I don't bad. like Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke owns the Rams. He owns basically half of Denver, including the Nuggets and the Avs and the soccer team here. But uh, I do want this game to come down to a final possession. Let's get a game-winning field goal or a touchdown or a pick six, something fun like that to bring this game home. It should be a good one. And uh, it's football, right? It's the big game, some fresh faces. Seems like a neat stadium they've got there in Englewood as well. So it should be uh, make for a very, very interesting Sunday. Get the grill ready. It's time for some football this Sunday. But we'll be back next week. Maybe there'll be some moves in the CBA that we'll get to talk about. Maybe the Illini will get back in the win column and Jeremy will be in a better mood. Maybe the Hoosiers will win another game, and I'll be feeling good about it. Uh, But we'll see where we're at with number 56 next week. See you next time.